Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. Today's reading comes from Colossians 1, verses 1 through 14. <clears throat> Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all of the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is, bear, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience and joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The word of the Lord. We love you so much, and we're so thankful for this family. We praise you. Uh, God, we just want to have praise on our lips of Jesus as a community. Um, Jesus, you are the one that is supreme over our lives, over this world. Uh, so God, we, we enter into this new year just giving you all the glory, all the praise that is due your name, that you are the greatest one of this universe, and we as a community of Jesus just want to forthright give you praise. Um, for, for rescuing us, for loving us, for pursuing us. And so, God, may this be a time where we just bask in your grace as a community. Uh, may we just be reminded of your gracious, reckless love this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. All right. Uh, we are, uh, let me tell you, just kind of a little bit of a roadmap of where we're headed over the next several weeks. Um, we're going to start today a new series, introing a new series on the first chapter of Colossians, and we're going to start talking about who is Jesus. We're going to visit uh, nine verses over the next five weeks, uh, just talking about who is Jesus, um, who is he as a person, what did he come to do, um, just refreshing and starting the year as a community of Jesus, focused on the King Jesus, unabashedly, just saying that we love Jesus, we're going to hear about Jesus our mission statement is taken straight from the Bible. It's really clever. It's making disciples of Jesus, neighborhood by neighborhood, all right? So um, that's what we hope you are. You, you are shaped, formed um, into the image of Jesus, that you be like Jesus, that you become like Jesus, that you do the things Jesus did, that you have a wake of followers of Jesus behind you saying, you can say, follow me as I follow Christ. Um, so we are going to start the year on Jesus, um, but we're going to do an intro to the book of Colossians first today, um, just to kind of get you into the book. 
Um, but then next week, as I said, we're going to start a, uh, we're going to have a special Sunday on Martin Luther King Sunday, and then we'll jump right back into the book of Colossians. That's cool. All right, so I'm just going to dive right in. We're going to get into this. Um, uh, first of all, I want to just really explain two things today. One, who wrote this book? And two, who are the Colossians? All right? Um, and uh, some things are going to emerge. Um, and it, so first of all, who, who are the Colossians uh, and who wrote this book? Now, Paul is the writer of this book. Uh, before he wrote this book, just a little bit of background of what's happened to Paul. Paul was preaching and teaching in the uh, region of Asia Minor. He was a missionary there to Gentiles who have never heard of Jesus at all. And in Acts 19, it says that after two years, the entire region had heard of Jesus. Pretty amazing discipleship feat, right? Um, Pretty amazing feat of mission. Um, In three years of this pursuing, proclaiming Jesus, a riot arose because some of the new Christian Jews um, were, were, were also like the old Jews were upset that they were, that Jesus, that Paul was teaching that you no longer have to be circumcised and you no longer have to follow the Mosaic law. And so there was a riot that broke out because Paul's message disrupted the system. Um, it, it was disruptive in nature. Uh, and so there was, after this riot, Paul was arrested. He was taken to Caesarea, um, in which he was under house arrest, according to the, over the governor Felix. And while on house arrest, um, one of the cr- people who became a Christian in Ephesus uh, um, uh, was this guy named um, uh, Epaphras. Uh, Epaphras then planted, a, we think, probably started a church or was a part of this church in Colossae and also, which was also near Laodicea. So then um, after this guy becomes a Christian, he comes back to Paul in house arrest to visit him, to update him on what is going on in the church at Colossae. Um, and so he comes and, he, and then Paul begins to write three letters. This is where he writes, uh, he writes Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. Philemon, if you remember, is the, is the, is the, is, is the slave owner of Onesimus. Onem- I can't say his name. Onem- I can't Onesimus? Onesimus has been awesome to use that word. Um, Onesimus, um, and uh, and so Onesimus is now free slave, along with Epaphras, go back to this region to give the church these letters. So Paul is writing to this letter. It's one of the more friendly uh, letters that he's written, more encouraging. Probably would so if you don't know somebody, right? He's never met this church, so he's not going to come out, you know, correcting them. Um, but uh, the church of Colossae is a young church. Um, it's a it's a pretty young church. It's also a church that's got a mixture of heresies that have crept into the church. Um, no one really knows exactly what this like new teaching is. Um, it sounds a lot like Gnosticism, which is all about like the spiritual special knowledge. You had to be a part of the elite club um, to get into this group. But that happened years later. That wasn't wasn't going on then. Um, but Paul does talk a lot about knowledge and being filled with this mysterious wisdom. And so a lot of times he's like using words that they would use, but to like relate about Jesus, he's trying to show them like, yeah, I'm one of the cool kids. I can talk your talk. Um, and, you know, so he's this old guy. Remember, just think of this 70-year-old guy that's like, I'm down, I'm hip, you know, and he's like trying to relate to them, but show them that Jesus is the one who fills you, who's, who's the true mystery. He's the one who, who is completely has all knowledge is in him. And so he's, he's trying to correct these heresies. Here's some of the language um, that we see that he, he says that don't be deceived by this new philosophy that was being taught in the church that was um, trying to mix some of the, the goddess and God messages of that time with Christianity. He says that this 
this, this philosophy, they worshiped angels. Um, they, they had a lot of false humility. He says, be careful about the elemental spirits of the world, whatever that is, right? Um, strict festival observances were happening. Um, it, there was strict rules about what you could eat and couldn't eat. Some people think that this was like a mystic Judaism, maybe, that it was emerging. He says, these things are a shadow of the things to come because substance belongs to Jesus. And I feel like in our time, this is something that we need to talk to talk about because even though we don't really know what this is, I believe as we enter to a new year, um, it's easy to begin to cultivate a vision for your life. This is the time that we're like trying to pick one of the major narratives that our culture sells us of what matters in life. And so many of us are, are, are searching whether it's like uh, all these different things. Like the, one of the phrases that we often throw around is like, you do you. Have you ever heard that before? Like, you just do you. Um, and it's kind of become like this, this, it's just like, when does it stop? Like, yeah, I, I want to become green. Like, I, you know, that's going to be my new color. You're like, you, yeah, you do you. You be green. Yeah, you, you do that. Like, everything is just like, you do whatever you want, that the biggest sin in our culture is to not tell someone that they can't do what they want. Um, and so that gets creeped into the church. Um, it gets creeped up into the message of Christianity. Um, and and, and it, it can be helpful. I think it is a helpful message to a degree, especially for someone coming out of a very legalistic culture, um, to ha- see the freedom in Jesus. But the freedom of Jesus leads to a transformed life that starts to look more like Jesus. And the you do you message is actually becomes enslaving and decriminalizing. Um, imagine just like a kid, like asking a parent, like, dad, how should I do this math problem? Like, ah, you do you. Like, you, what do you think? You know, like you do it. Yeah. If, if five plus four is 10 to you, then you do you. You know, that's like, there's, there's a come to agree where the message doesn't really fit. And so I think um, uh, uh, the, there's others that, uh, that, that we just constantly are moving in these new different um, kind of angles that, that get creeped into the church. Now, um, but for Paul, he says this, that I don't want to just mix a bunch of messages together and call it what I want or call it Christianity. Um, he says, I, I want to, to, to not just mix a bunch of things and goals in my life and call that success. He says, I want to tell you the message that matters. Um, and if you look in verse, all throughout verse 5, 6, 7, he's going to tell us um, what really, really matters. Six things um, in verse 5 through 7. He says, this is a message of hope. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what happened to the slides there, but um, if you just pull up from the bottom and then type in the code, it will it'll should reconnect. Um, and so, uh, first of all, in verse 5, if you have your Bible, it's a message of hope. It's a future that is glorious. He says this message that really matters is a message that is true. It's not just a message that is glorious. It is a message that is true. It matches with reality. And this message is good news. As he calls it, it's, a gos- it's the gospel. It's good news. And he says it's changing the world in verse 6, and not only is it changing the world, it's changing you, that it's getting inside of you. It's getting, in, it's transformed your life. And, in, and, and he also says this, that when this message has gotten inside of you, it does something to you. It makes you into a different person. And then lastly, he says, this is a message about the wonderful grace of God. That's how he summarizes this. And so today, I just want to talk to you about the disruptive power of grace. Um, that in the beginning of this book, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. He says, not just sinners in Colossae, not just Jewish, you're not just Gentiles, you're 
This is for everybody, and you're faithful and you're saints. Grace is God's unmerited kindness extended. And it's received experientially, but it's a change in position from being outside of God's love and care to moving into his love and care by receiving Jesus Christ, who died and rose again for the entire cosmos to be made new. That's what it means to experience grace. It's God's unmerited kindness. You didn't deserve it, as we sang. I don't deserve it. Couldn't earn it. It's unmerited. It's not something that you can, you can conjure up. It's not something that you can create. It's not something that you can perform. And, and, and it doesn't just forgive us of our sins. It pours upon us to break the habits and cycles of sin and dysfunction that we were both born into but get trapped into by our own foolish choices. And the God is moving and moving towards us with kindness. And this is a message, he says, it's for you. It's a bigger than any merit, uh, a narrative or message that's happening in our culture. And Paul is trying to remind the Colossians that the grace has disrupted their wickedness. And it says he's transferred you from one kingdom into the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of the light. That's good news. Now, um, Paul is reminding this. Now, Paul knows this because Paul used to hate Jesus. Um, Paul used to... Um, actually, in there's a verse in Acts that says he held the jackets of those who were stoning Christians so they could essentially kill them faster. Um, Paul was an adamant Jewish member of the Sanhedrin who believed that the message of the way of Jesus was a atrocity. And so for him, it was his life mission to destroy the church. And the beautiful thing that Paul has experienced and why he's writing this letter is because grace turns antagonists into apostles. It turns antagonists into apostles. Grace doesn't just make good people nicer. It makes wicked people transformed. And it makes them into apostolic leaders for his kingdom. And so it's an extraordinary thing that's happening. If you, first of all, if you hate God in this room this morning, if you're honest with yourself and you're like, I hate God, that is a very dangerous place to be. Because God actually, he loves taking people who hate him and makes them into the most powerful instrument and apostle for his kingdom. So if you hate God right now, you're in a very dangerous place because he wants to transform your life to become this agent of reconciliation in our world. He wants to take your pain and passion and turn it towards the Lord. Paul wrote in Philippians 3, it's this beautiful thing, play on words. He said, I used to press on, persecute the church. Now I press for the gospel. And so God wants to take all that energy and transform it. And because grace turns antagonists into apostles. The more opposed you are, the greater a candidate you are to be used by the kingdom of God. The most violently opposed person and I just want to remind us of this, because I think for many of us, we think, oh, my goodness, God can't change people like that anymore. And he does. He does. Uh, Apostle Paul is on a road to shut down the church, and his pharisaical ways are transformed by grace. Um, John Newton used to be a sailor. And um, after being forced to join the Navy, he attempted to jump ship, um, but was caught, beaten, and humiliated in front of his crew. He was so defiant as a Navy sailor that his crewmates were so annoyed with him because he uh, was so um, just, he had a foul mouth, they said. He had this, he was just the roughest, dirtiest sailor you can think of, all right? That's John Newton. And um, he was such an annoyance, get this, his fellow crew members threw him off the ship 
in the coast of Africa, and he became a slave. He was a said, I was a servant of slaves. He lived among the slaves in Africa. I don't know if you knew this. But he, he, uh, he, he was rescued later from a ship captain. And he, guess what he did once he was rescued? He funneled all that pain from his jagged past towards Africa and became a slave trader himself. And one day at sea, a ferocious storm brought Newton to a near-death experience. Newton cried out to God, God, save me, rescue me. Please, would you do this? Would you rescue me? And God did, and then Newton became a Christian. But not only that, he became known for three things. He became known for being a gentle pastor. He had a transformed heart. He, He also was one of the greatest influences on ending the British slave trade. He was the pastor of William Wilberforce. Number three, he's known for a song he wrote a worship song that many of you know. It says, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious was that grace appeared the hour I first believed. And so grace transformed Newton from being this antagonist to being an apostle for Jesus, a leader for Jesus. And so you never know who God wants to use or the power of grace to change lives. You never know what grace can do because grace is not a concept. Grace is a force. It is a force, amen? It's not just a concept. It is a true living force of the Holy Spirit. Um, another book that I wanted to share with you, if you're here and you're, you're, you're skeptical towards Jesus, um, a fascinating book by the guy named Anthony Flew. He was an atheist in the 20th century. He came up with many of the arguments that were later adopted by Hitchens and Dawkins. And at the end of his life, he wrote a book um, that is titled this, There is a God, How the World's Most Notorious Atheist Changed His Mind. And so if you are here searching, I I challenge you to read that book. It's got an end chapter by N.T. Wright um, that concludes that it's a beautiful essay on why Christianity is the true religion. So if you're wrestling with that, that's just another example of how grace transforms people. It does. It does today, and it breaks cycles. It breaks, it gets into the machine and breaks the cycles of things like doubt. And so grace turns antagonists into apostles. The second thing grace does is it turns sinners into saints. It turns sinners into saints. Now, when he wrote this letter, and we may not even get past the first three verses of this, he says this, that for to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. I love this. First of all, you're saints, he says. You're not no longer sinners. And just in case you didn't get that, let me just, you don't like the word saints? Fine, you're faithful. I don't like that word either. Fine, you're in Christ. He's like, let me just get this at you, that you are in Christ. You are in a cocoon of concrete of God's love that nothing can break. And you are trapped into God's love. His reckless love has captured you and loved you and has kept you and secured you. And you are now considered holy ones. Grace turns sinners into saints. It doesn't just produce leaders, it transforms the average person. And so the immorality, if you remember, Colossae was a city that that the immorality of the people of the Greeks was a part of their framework. It was a part of the fabric of their society. A lot of times when we read the Bible and we read these characters in the Bible, we think they were just like these nice people that were just following Jesus. No. Paul's writing to people who used to sleep with prostitutes. He's writing with people who used to, he says that you're adulterers, you're idolaters, you're, you're these godless people in the dark, and grace has such a power that those in the dark are now called saints. 
faithful ones in Christ Jesus. In chapter 3, it says this. He tells them, put to death what is earthly among you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. He says that in this you once walked when you were living in them. So he literally, he's not just making up little phrases. He's like, you literally used to sleep with prostitutes. You literally were immoral. You used to be this, this person, and now you're not. You're now faithful. You're now a saint in God's eyes. And so uh, this would have been so scandalous to the Jews because the word saints was a Jewish word that meant you were someone who was set apart for a special ministry. That's what a saint was. Bless you. You were especially set apart. And he's saying, to the Jews are sa- he's saying, the Jews are like, Paul, are you saying that that person who used to sleep with prostitutes is now a saint? He goes, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. That their positional status has been transformed. They've been changed. They are now a saint in God's eyes. I know some of you, you're like, I don't really want to be a saint. That isn't, you think like, oh, do I have to wear robes? You think of it as Catholic sense and this kind of Christian that we could never be. He goes, no, saints are the people God chose. Paul's reminding them, you have a new identity. You have a new identity. Um, I, 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 the, 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 the great, God's grace is just astounding. Uh, the, the best way, I, it's so hard to describe, the best story that I can think of that captures the feeling of God's grace is a story told by Tony Campolo. Um, about 30 years ago, he was in Hawaii, and these two girls approached him, and they said, they looked at him and said, how much? He's like, what are you talking about, how much? He's like, how much for us? He's like, what? what I, I don't get it. He, he's older. He, he's like, and, and he realized they were prostitutes. He goes, okay, how mu- tell, me how, um, tell me what you normally charge. And they told him, and he says, okay, I want you to meet me at this hotel tonight. And so he goes and he buys a ton of Disney movies and a ton of birthday cakes. And they come over to his hotel room. And he says, I just want you to be a kid again. And they stay up all night eating birthday cake and watching Disney movies. These prostitutes. That's grace. God's kindness extended. His loving acceptance of you. No matter where, what you've done or who you are. That's God's heart for you. And so he wants to take us and transform us from sinners to saints. What Paul is reminding us is to live out of the positional reality that you already are. That this is who you are, so therefore live like it. Sin will pull you into the past, but grace will pull you into the future. It determines what we focused on. Um, and so the, the only real sadness that we, we should have, the only real failure, the only real tragedy in life, is not becoming who you already are. That that's your identity. But our, our culture tells us that you are what you do, you are what you have, you are what you desire. What, right? Whatever you desire, that's who you are. Whatever you have, your possessions, who, whatever you do. And the good news about God's grace is that you don't have to perform. You don't have to perform. You are a new, have a new status. Um, this break, uh, you know, as we... As I looked at this and just like, this is the message that matters. It's so easy for me just to get caught up in so many little trivial things, right? I got a new vinyl record player and looking through all these new records and getting distracted with that. I'm, I'm not working and so I'm bored and I'm finding something to do with my time. And there's one day that hit and I just got so depressed. And I'm not a depressed person. I typically don't really experience that on a normal level. I couldn't get out of bed. I was crying. I didn't know why. I was stuck. My wife was playing worship music, and I was like, just turn it off. I don't want to hear that. I was just such in a low spot, and I don't even know, I didn't even know why. 
and, and, it, and I heard God's whisper and say, Brian, you're not what you do. You see, so for, so for all my life growing up, I, I, I got my identity so much in what I did. I'm just give you, try to give you some examples. Like when I was, uh, my dad coached me in baseball, um, had two older brothers, so I was always trying to com- compare myself to them, compete with them, do as well as them. Um, my dad coached us, and he built this batting cage for our school, poured the concrete, built the whole thing, bought the, bought the machine, and then he gets us out there, and he's like, all right, I want you to test out the batting cage. And we're like, whoa, whoa, the ball's like going all over the place, right, because it's brand new. He doesn't get it situated. And I remember as an 11-year-old boy sitting there and, and trying to swing at this, this, bat, this, this ball and not being able to hit it, and my dad's back there putting balls through there, and he screams out to me, step up to the damn plate. And I still hear that voice today. Step up to the plate. Grace transforms us. We don't have to perform. You don't have to step up to the plate because God's already done it for you. His grace covers you. His reckless love that phrase comes from this beautiful story of the prodigal son who recklessly wastes their life on wild living. And theologians and writers says, you know who the reckless one in the story is? It's God the Father who waits and runs to accept the son when he returns. That's why it's called the reckless love of God. Because he doesn't care. He's humiliated in front of his town because men at that time didn't run. And he goes, I'm going to do whatever it comes to show you that you don't have to do, you're not what you do. You're not what you have, and you're not what you desire. You are a saint. You are a faithful one. You are in Christ. That's the good news of this year. I love um, the fruit of this. The fruit of grace is fullness. The fruit of grace is fullness. All throughout this epistle, Paul is going to talk about the word fullness. He's probably fighting a heresy that, that there's a, there, was, there was a message, a narrative, cultural narrative that fullness came from something else, that maybe you had to contort your body into certain poses to meditate in order to experience the fullness. I don't know, but, you know, it made, who knows what it is. Um, but it was like this sense that you need to get fullness, and he said, that, no, the fruit of God's grace is experiencing fullness. Look at the next section of verses. It says this. Um, it says that, and so from the day we heard, we've not ceased praying for you. This is his prayer for you, Miss Day, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. And that with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increase in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance. You see the, 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 the filled, you're all, fully, all power, all endurance. And he's praying for three things. He's praying for you to have the knowledge of his will. Not, a lot of us, like, we, we've got the, the knowledge of our will. And a lot of us think, like, in terms of God's will, like, we're thinking through a lot of, like, who am I going to marry? What am I going to do for this job? If I were to ask you, like, what, what do you want Chicago to give you? You'd probably be like, I can tell you exactly. I want this promotion. I want this job. And then I'm going to move back home. And we're going to have babies. We're going to be close to my family. And then we're going to do that. And then we're going to move to this city. And then, or I'm going to find a spouse here. And then, you know, I'm going to. And it, you, all, you have a plan. If I were to ask you, what do you want Chicago to do for you? You would begin to explain, like, like what you sense. And you probably couch into God's will. This is what I sense God's will doing. And then if I were to say, what do you want Jesus to do for you? Some of you would be like, uh, I don't know, like, isn't, maybe you could tell me, like, what happens to people who don't, never heard the gospel before? I don't know, isn't there a book about that somewhere? You're like, seriously? Like, you want to, you want to, that's what you want God, God to do for you is some, like, theological frustration that you've, you've, that, that's been debated about for thousands of years? 
it's like we, we, don't have a, we don't have a desire to experience the knowledge of his will. The knowledge of his, the, his will is two-tiered. There's the revealed will of God, and there's the special, the unrevealed will of God. The revealed will is he wants you to be like him. That's his will. All throughout the scriptures, it says, my will is for you to be sanctified, for you to look like me, for you to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. That's his will. And the thing is, is we want all those other things to be revealed without doing the first things. And when we begin to do those things, then he's actually going to show you more of his, his hidden will. Uh, and so he wants us, Monsieur Day, to be formed into the image of Jesus and, with, and, and to be filled with that. Second, he wants you to have, um, be, he wants you to, to be filled with all power. This, what this grace does, the fruit of grace is fullness, and this fullness comes because he gives us all the power of the Holy Spirit to be transformed. And here's the good news. You don't have to perform, just like me. You don't have to step up to the plate. One of my favorite quotes is by a, a, a guy named Steve Brown. He just loves talking about the grace of God. Um, he says this. He says that those who get better are those who know that if they never get better, God loves them the same anyway. Let me just say that again. Those who get better are those who know if they never get better, God loves you the same anyway. That's the grace of God. And it transforms us. So I don't know who you are, what you've done. If you think about it, Chicago sometimes is like living a, uh, a second college experience sometimes. It's like you're not held accountable. You can do whatever you want. You're online dating. I can go here. I got these coworkers that I hang out with. Go out to a restaurant every night, maybe with these people. But you can, you, there, there's no accountability. I mean, you can do whatever you want and live in darkness and no one would ever even know. And, and sometimes that happens to you. You have a horrible week. You don't come to church. You have a great week. Oh, I'm going to come to church. And, and you feel like this horrible disciple. What do I do? Here's the good news. The pressure's off. The pressure is off. You are free in Jesus to be transformed by the grace of him once you've experienced the reckless love of grace, you will be transformed. There will be fruit in your life. Not completely, but there will be transformation. I mean, think about it. That if you're thinking my sin disqualifies me from experiencing the grace of God, you don't know our God. I mean, look at the Bible. Did you know that a third of the Bible was written by murderers? That's crazy stuff. First five books of the Old Testament. Moses, killer, check. All right? David, <laughs> Psalms, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Samuel, murder, check, Paul, 13 epistles of the New Testament, murder, check. So if you think your sin disqualifies you from the love of God, Paul says, your sins are JV, buddy. Like you are a junior varsity player in this game. You have nothing on me, all right? And so God wants to take you. Your sin does not disqualify you. It qualifies you for the grace of God. That's the good news. It qualifies you. And lastly, I'll just close with this. Um, we named our kid Jude Augustine because I love St. Augustine. St. Augustine, they called him a saint, but what many people don't know is that St. Augustine was famous for sleep, sleeping with so many different lovers, and that's not why we named our kid Jude. <laughs> <laughs> but he was famous for saying, God, give me patience, but God, just not yet. He had a child out of wedlock. He had an illegitimate child, and that's St. Augustine. He had an encounter with God, and that didn't disqualify him. We don't remember that stuff of him. We don't think of that stuff about him that much. And he was visiting a city one day, and his former lover came up to him and found him and tapped him on the shoulder and said, Augustine, it is I. 
And he says, yes, but it is no longer I. And so he had been so transformed by grace that he could say no to the lesser loves so he could pursue the one who he recklessly loved and give him grace. Missio Dei, you are saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in Chicago. Grace to you and peace from our God the Father. Let's pray. God, we, we pray that you would, um, you would transform us by your love and grace th- this year, um, that we would be a people. Um, this will be a year of, 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 I would just say, like, I, I want to say a sense that we refocus on what really matters. We are a distracted country, a distracted people. We get so angry about our political and religious climate. And we get so distracted by everything going on that we have forgotten to just bask in the reckless love of God. May we just sit in awe of you, worshiping you, God, singing your praises, experiencing your goodness, that you, Jesus, are supreme and Lord of our lives. And I just want to pray for you, wherever you are, you, some of you, maybe the, your prayer is that you would just leave here asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. You'd be filled with the knowledge of his will for your life. After this 21 days of prayer and fasting, that, that he would fill you, fill you with the knowledge of his will. And for some of you, maybe you've never experienced the grace of God. And I, I just want to pray for you. If that's you, if you've never experienced the reckless love of God, I believe in prayer, and I just want to pray for you so if that's you, I would just love, would you love to pray for you by just visually recognizing you, and could you just make eye contact with me if you've never experienced the, the grace of God before? I just want to pray for you. Just make eye contact with me so I can know if you want. Thank you. God, we pray for these people who acknowledge that they have not experienced your grace. May you Pour it upon them. May they experience the love of the Father, the grace of the Son, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you seal this message?